It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello, and thanks for tuning into the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges mindsets and paradigms that hold us back. This podcast can be heard on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Facebook, YouTube, and we just recently added TuneIn um, to our platforms, and we're also on the Work FM in Midlothian, Virginia. So we're growing, we're actually on nine different platforms. So thanks again for, for tuning in tonight. As a special guest, I have Heather Moyes joining us all the way from Prince Edward Island in Canada. Um, Heather is an accomplished speaker and author. She's a multi-sport national athlete in bobsledding, rugby, cycling. She's a four-times Olympian and also a two-time Olympic gold medalist. Heather, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Fred podcast. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, so Heather, I, from the little that I knew about you, you're... Um, you did start as much as you're, you're a two-time Olympic gold medalist and four-times Olympian. You didn't start until you were 27 years old. For a lot of people who are, you know, into the Olympics or who go to the Olympics, you'd imagine that they would start from a very young age, right? Maybe five, six, seven, but you didn't start until age 27, but went on to become an accomplished um, Olympian. How, how did that start for you? Did you have a different goal growing up and, and how did this whole, Olympics thing come about for you? Yeah, so I grew up, I mean, as you mentioned, I grew up in Prince Edward Island. Now, for people who don't know, that's the smallest province in Canada, accessible only by a plane or a, currently a 13-kilometer bridge to the mainland. Uh, but when I was growing up, that was a 45-minute boat ride. So, you know, you're kind of self-contained on this island. And I mean, it does have 130 or 40-odd people on it, 1,000, 140. 30,000 people, but it's still, you know, you're still on an island and there weren't people around me training to go to the Olympics or training to represent our country. So for me, Olympians growing up, they were considered to be TV people. You know, I thought that those were Olympians. Those were people you see on TV. Those weren't everyday normal people like I considered myself to be. Um, I also grew up in a very academic family. So even though I did grow up playing sports you know, my whole life, it was just for fun. It was always considered to be extracurricular to what I was going to do to earn a living. So I pursued a career and a master's degree in occupational therapy. It wasn't until I was 27 when I finally accepted the challenge of seeing if I could compete in the Olympics. Now, they had actually approached me four years before that to see if I would compete in the previous Olympics uh, in, in Park City, in, in Lake Placid. No, in Park City, it's Salt Lake City in 2002 and I turned them down and they said but Heather we know who's in the program you would be going for sure you'd be an Olympian and you could tell by that comment that that had always been this person's dream this person's goal his definition of success but it hadn't been mine I had always wanted to work in a developing country and I had just accepted a position to uh, to do an internship in Trinidad and Tobago as a disability sports program officer and I was floored like I was so excited to go and for me, that was following my dream. Okay. So I ended up living in Trinidad and Tobago for almost three years. And then I moved back to Canada to do my master's degree in occupational therapy. And when I came back, it was a year into the program when I happened to run into that same recruiter again at my former track coach's retirement party. And he was just 
you know, he was, he's, he's a friend, but he like now, but he was very, you know, I'll say persistent instead of annoying. You know, he was just very like, I can't believe you didn't do this. And, you know, I, I can't believe you missed that opportunity. It'd be so much harder now. Cause I know you're a lot older, but blah, 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 blah. Anyway. So I finally agreed just to do the testing in my head. I was like, well, I'm not really going to do this. Who does that? But I'm in the middle of my master's program. So I agreed to do the testing and I ended up breaking one of their testing records. Wow. And I was like, wait a second. I just broke a record amongst these people who've been training for years and who are supposed to be representing us in five months in the Olympics in Torino. I wonder if I can do it. I wonder if I can, can I learn a new sport? Can I learn to do it well? And can I learn to do it well enough in time to compete in the next Olympics in five months, in five months time. So for me, it, it had nothing to do with bobsledding because I hadn't been down a track yet. I hadn't even seen a sled in real life yet. And it was just the challenge. Can I learn a new sport? Can I learn to do it well? And can I learn to do it well in time to compete in those games? And so I fell in love with the challenge. And I think that's when I realized that I'm motivated by challenges. Like the more people think it's maybe implausible or unlikely for something to happen, the more I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe it is, but I sure want to see how close I can get. So it becomes this, it's kind of changed the way that I work with people. And when I'm, when I'm coaching or when I'm helping people, it's, you know, helping people set goals, big goals, but helping them change the way they're they're, they're thinking about pursuing it. So pursuing it as though it's possible to achieve it by believing in the possibilities, but embracing it as a challenge to see how close they can get to that. Because if you only set goals that you know are possible to achieve, then you actually will never figure out what you're actually capable of. You don't figure out what you're capable of until you reach a point of not being able to go any further. And that only means that's what you're capable of at that particular time in that particular week or in that particular year. So it's, it's, it's been interesting for me to have had that experience and to come in at the age of 27 also allowed me to be more confident in making choices that were right for me and figuring out um, more like value-based decision-making instead of just fear-based decision-making on like what everyone else is doing or, um, worried about, well, what if, what if I don't make the team, but, but I, you know, it's, it's really, it really taught me a lot. It's, it's crazy. The amount of, um, things that I've learned and discovered, uh, and had never heard before, you know, I had never learned from anywhere before simply based on my own personal experiences. And it's been pretty, it's been pretty great to be able to share that with other people. So did you, did you actually go for the Olympics that same year? I did. Wow. Yeah. So I had to apply to put my master's degree on hold. So I, they, they gave me like a one year leave of absence. So I was like, okay. So I put my master's degree on hold and I was playing on the national, I just made, I just made the national rugby team as well. So they agreed that I could go and take the winter to try bobsledding. And then after that, I would return to rugby and play in the rugby world cup, hopefully if I still made the team. Uh, the following summer and then I would go back and finish my master's degree so it was a pretty busy year um, and we ended up making the Olympics and we ended up coming fourth so we missed all all in five months you had five months months. wow wow what what an accomplishment yeah it was it was crazy but again the things that I took from that is well I mean to be a rookie 
sometimes, uh, sometimes ignorance is bliss mm -hmm. in the sense that I didn't know when I was competing, our very first World Cup race, the first race in which I was competing, uh, we came third. And my driver, you know, was on the platform with a coach who was like crying and they were hugging and embracing and, and so and whatever. And I was just like, why are they so excited? We didn't win. Like, I don't understand where all this emotion is coming from. And I hadn't realized that the best place she had ever had before that season was eighth in the world, like an eighth place finish in the world. So for her to medal. And so the whole perspective, I didn't know we were competing against former Olympic champions or former world champions. I just thought they were other girls from other countries. You know, so when you have that kind of mindset where they're just other girls, it's not, you're not playing against Germany. You know, you're not competing against, you know, these big time world champions and stuff. When you just realize that they're other girls and you're just doing your thing, um, you don't get distracted um, and lose focus and are focusing on the wrong things and you're just able to execute. Yeah. And it's the same as when we got to the Olympics. I was like, we've been competing against these girls all year. And we've, you know, why can't it be us? Like, why, why can't it be us? And I think that by coming in with such a, maybe with such a naive perspective, um, I'll say, yeah, naive, like an ignorant perspective. And part of that also is because we didn't grow up watching sports. Right. I mean, we watched every once in a while, my dad would have a Grey Cup on or a Super Bowl on or, you know, just a big event kind of thing. But we didn't, we weren't like a hardcore watching sports family. So I had never kind of sat in front of the TV dreaming about being that person that people are looking up to or seeing those people who are under all this pressure and being the person who's putting the pressure on that person. And so for me, it was just, we're here to execute what we've trained to do. Like it was, it was crazy. It, in hindsight, um, it's pretty amazing. But right now it's my job to help people develop that mindset and how can you frame things and use that, you know, develop that mental management yeah. where you can have that perspective to be able to freely compete and whether that or perform or whatever, whether it's a pitch to the biggest client of your, you know, of your company's history, you know, how do you not choke in those final moments and how do you kind of manage that thinking to do so? That, that's interesting, Heather, that you say that because it's, and I think this is one of your, your quotes, you, you write that no one was born to do anything, but it's our choices that determine the direction and story um, of our lives. And sometimes, sometimes we go through life and we have these detours, right? Here you are, you're in your master's program studying to become an occupational therapist and, and here comes the detour, right? And for whatever reason, you decided to follow that detour. Oftentimes when these detours, we run into these detours, we're, we see them as distractions, but, but sometimes though they lead us right to, to our destinies in life. How do you, how do you recognize, you know, what those detours are and what to actually even pay attention to in life? I think that's a, that's a great point. It's, um, it's often when we're also helping people achieve their goals. Uh, it's, you want them to stay focused and stay diligent and kind of not get distracted, but not necessarily with blinders on. So you don't see other opportunities that present themselves along the way. Um, and so that there's a difference between a distraction and a, a possible opportunity, you know? And so I think, you know, going to the beach on May 2-4 weekend when you're supposed to be training to go to the Olympics, that's a distraction. Right. Or 
but I mean, being presented with an opportunity is simply a choice. Yeah. And you can choose to go in either directions. And sometimes it's a difficult choice. And sometimes the choice in and of itself can be a little bit distracting. But when you kind of own the fact that it is a choice and you're, you're choosing, part of it, um, you know, when I'm working with people, it's also a little bit like some people feel like they can't give up on that. They think that it's quitting their goal if they change direction. Or if they don't go all the way and they only go to this point, mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, it's not quitting if it's actually a choice. And I don't mean lying to ourselves because we're all very good at lying to ourselves and saying one thing. Right. Um, and that works until the very end when you have the regret only come in. The regret can only come in if those actually weren't legitimate choices. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's just interesting because yeah. some people are pressured to go all the way towards a certain goal or feel pressured to follow a certain path because that's what they've told people they're going to do. Yeah. But often along the way, we need to reevaluate your own personal values change, which means you're, um, they, they evolve, they, they change as, as stages of your life change. And at that point, if your values are changing, your goals may no longer align with those values anymore. And it might not be as important to you anymore. And so we need to give ourselves permission to change our path. Um, in my book, I refer to a, a woman who's a very successful defense attorney in Toronto. And she hated, she hated it, hated it. She kind of got to the very top as high as she could go and realized uh, how much she didn't enjoy her job and then started asking herself, well, how did I get here? And she realized that part of it was, it was momentum. You know, when you, when you start off at university and you don't know any better, you pursue something you think might be interesting mm -hmm. and then you end up being really good at it. So you get, uh, you get offered an internship and then you're just excited because someone has seen value in you and, and appreciates you. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so great. And so you do it. And then you get offered a job and then you get offered a promotion and then you get an award for, you know, something. And then you're, it's, it's literally this snowballing momentum and you get excited because of the um, acknowledgement and the accomplishment and that sort of thing. But you get to a point where you all of a sudden stop and you're like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? I don't even enjoy what I'm doing. And that is way more prevalent than I'd like to admit or yeah. like knowledge. But there are a lot of people who are doing things right now that they do not enjoy. Yeah. And it, everyone from the outside might be like, well, you're so successful. You're so, you know, you have everything you could possibly want. Yeah. The problem is that outward success is not inward success and inward success, meaning fulfillment is completely different than the outward definition of success. Yeah. And, and, and you, you spoke about this quite a bit in your uh, 2012 TED talk in, in Waterloo. Uh, and you actually, you say that following that gut instinct, right? Whatever that is, whether it's that inner voice or inner compass or intuition or discernment, that true north, right? And you, I think the title of that TED talk was without guts, there's no glory or no guts. Yeah, no, no guts, no yeah. glory. Yeah. That was a long time ago. How, how is that important? Because like you rightly said, there are a lot of us who are in, you know, different situations, whether we're enduring it just to make ends meet. And it's okay, right? It's a job. You got to pay the bills and all of that. But oftentimes, Heather, we get stuck, right? We realize like this defense attorney that you talked about or, or whoever who is in a, you know, a situation or, or, or a place in life that you know doesn't bring you any contentment or any satisfaction. You know that's subpar. That's not what you're called to do. But for some reason, 
we allow this to suck us into that vortex and we find ourselves just kind of on a sliding slope, right, into nowhere. And we're frustrated and we're maddened, but we know that's not where we're supposed to be. How does one pull mm. away from that? Yeah, so that, that talk was a long time ago, but the no guts part, we often think about having guts, meaning courage, you know, to do things, right? No guts, no glory. If you're not brave enough to go for it, then, you know, then you're not going to be successful. But sometimes having the bravery and the courage and the guts means listening to our gut, like listening to our gut feeling and not necessarily going where everyone else thinks is like the ultimate high. It, it's, it's like me turning down the offer to go to the Olympics mm -hmm. at the first time. Like that was someone else's goal and probably a lot of people's goals when they were kids, but it wasn't mine. And so, you know, I could have easily said, oh my gosh, the Olympics. Well, the Olympics are so highly regarded. I guess I should go. But it was, but at the time it was not what I wanted, not what I needed. And even yeah. when I did do it, it wasn't really bobsledding, but I just fell in love with this challenge, just seeing if I, you know, how far I could go, what, what could I do? And then that, the challenges evolved. Every four Olympic games in which I competed had four very different challenges. And so I was able to kind of latch on to those challenges and kind of have those as driving forces for me. Um, especially when other challenges popped up, you know, what is the driving force and what is, what is my root why in order to keep going? Right. And so things like that are interesting, but when people get stuck, it really, it really comes down to kind of clarity on your, on people's values and what is really important to them. And then in a way, structuring their lives and their businesses or their jobs and stuff around that. Um, if some things need to change or pivot, then some things need to change or pivot. Uh, but I think there's just way too much unhappiness out there. There's way too much um, just dissatisfaction in life. Yeah. Um, and some people are saying, you know, some people might work so many hours because they feel like they need to provide for their families, but they're never seeing their family. So there's kind of like the, for some people, they might sacrifice that extra money for the time spending with their family, whereas someone else might say no, because they were brought up in terms of like providing and whatever they can give their family. So a lot of it also comes from our backgrounds and yeah. what we feel like the expectations are on us. Yeah. Um, and so the expectations we put on ourselves and sometimes we need to break free from that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that trade-off. I mean, you, you, you're right that sometimes it also takes seeing with a different perspective, right? Which is one of the pillars in your book, redefining um, realistic. But you're right that seeing with a different perspective is a key to overcoming obstacles and achieving success. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that means to kind of shift your perspective sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say you need a different perspective, but sometimes it doesn't really, you don't really know exactly why. And the thing is, is that we, the perspectives that we have or perceptions we have are built and created based on our own personal experiences, things we've witnessed, things we've personally experienced, um, our direct environments, our families, and that sort of thing. And so based on those perspectives, that's how we create in our minds what we think is possible in terms of what we're able to accomplish or pursue. So yes, we still make choices in terms of what we want to do and where we want to go to school or you know, what we want to do with our life, but we're still setting those goals and those choices within the boundaries of, of that, um, of our geography, of our environment, of our, of our past experiences. So it is still limited 
generally, unless we intentionally break free. And that's yeah. when people are like, oh my goodness, you're setting a goal. And then if you tell people you're setting a goal that's outside of the, the realm of normalcy in that area, then that's when you get some naysayers and some lobsters and people who don't believe and then all that stuff. And then it's whether or not you let that stuff get to you or whether you let that fuel you. So there's a lot that is kind of to be said about that, but Oh my gosh, I don't even remember what we were talking about at the beginning. I went off on a full tangent. Perspective. No, you're right on point. Oh my gosh, yes. So in my book, I use this example of um, called the beach ball method. And so if you're sitting in a circle, um, so basically I was telling that whole background story, basically to say that everyone, because of our different environments, our different families in which we grew up, all of this stuff, we all come with a different perspective. Now there, if you're growing up in the same neighborhood, some perspectives might be similar, but we also don't know what goes on behind closed doors. So everyone still comes from unique experiences. So if we had, um, we were all sitting in a circle and there was a beach ball, like those traditional beach balls, you know how they have the, the few different colors, the yeah. red, blue stripes or whatever. Um, so you kind of, when you're sitting in one spot, you can only ever see three of those sections at a time. And so if the solution to your problem is just one section over or another section over, you need to shift your perspective to maybe see what someone else says or, or you need to, that's why collaboration, that's why you want diversity in, in a boardroom. That's why you want diversity on a team. So you can have those perspectives from other people who have come from different places, who have seen different things and can experience, who have experienced other you know, situations. And so that is, you might be sitting so close mm. to someone who has the solution to the challenge that you're facing or the problem you're facing, but without expanding that or without ex opening yourself up to venture over and yeah. experience someone else's perspective, you're never going to find that solution. I, I love that concept, Heather. I, and you, you use the word intentional. We've got to be intentional about some of these things. And you talk about you know, the beach ball scenario, which just brought us back to, to, to memory. But how many of us are, are right there, whether whatever that quadrant or segment, right? And afraid to venture off to where that breakthrough or that answer so to whatever close. we're looking. So close, yeah. right? But we just, for whatever reason, can't venture off. It's funny because um, I've shared this story a little bit. Um, just to give people kind of an understanding, give them a different perspective on potentially things that are limiting their own uh, exploration, their own goal setting, their own, you know, having those limiting things. And I mean, all of that stuff is rooted in our past experiences, yeah. which, which comes in the forms of fears, assumptions, and self-limiting, yeah. yeah. right? Those are the things. And then those kind of manifest in excuses, right? We write these little excuses and, you know, do all these things, but they're all rooted in fears, assumptions, and self-limiting beliefs. Now, when we talk about kind of assumptions, like I just assumed I had, it wasn't a limiting belief that I couldn't go to the Olympics. I just assumed that Olympians were TV people. Like they must be just kind of a special, unique kind of person to do that. Like I, I never thought that I couldn't do it. It just never occurred to me. I didn't think of that as a possibility because nobody around me had done it. So I started thinking, um, how many doctors, for example, are doctors because someone in their immediate family was a doctor or like or in the healthcare profession? How many, uh, gosh, teachers 
become teachers because someone in our immediate family became teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, then I started wondering how many athletes, like professional athletes or Olympic athletes, went into sports and pursued that because someone else in their immediate family mm-hmm. had done so. Mm-hmm. And it's, it comes down to my nephew, who's, who's now older, but I write, I write about this little anecdote in my book. Just It's a little snippet. But he basically, when he was five, I think, five, he must have been five, I think he just turned five, um, he had to go to the hospital and get, um, he had an infection and had to get some skin removed around this infection. And um, so it was fine, a tough little kid, you know, braved it and, you know, didn't cry and all of that stuff in the hospital. And then he gets home and like the next day, like my sister could see that there were still things playing on his mind. So she said, are you okay? He said, yeah. But I was just, I was just wondering, does, does this mean now that I will compete in the other Olympics? Mm-hmm. And my sister's like, what do you mean the other Olympics? He goes, you know, the Olympics where they compete if a part of their body is missing. Mm. And she's like, the Paralympics? And he said, yeah, the, the, yeah, the one with, where they're missing part of their body. Mm-hmm. And so for him in his mind, and I'm telling you, he is an athletic, he's probably the male version of my athleticism. Like he is like, he's a, like a gifted kid. Um, now, where his mindset goes, I have no idea, but he's a gifted, he's a gifted athlete. Um, but it's interesting how there was never a question as to whether or not he could go to the Olympics if he chose to. It was just a matter of which one he would be competing in. And all of that is because his auntie had already done it a few times, had already competed. He'd already seen her compete at the Olympics. Like he already knew it was possible, mm-hmm. knew it was possible in his immediate surroundings. So for him, it wasn't even a question and he could become, his mom's a doctor. So he could become a doctor if, if he wants to, like the, the possibilities for him are so real because they're in his immediate environment. And I really don't think, I mean, yes, genetics a little bit with the sports, but the thing is I was just as genetically gifted the, when I was 26, the year before sitting at a desk and working in, you know, doing my master's degree and not doing, not pursuing sports. So it comes down to choices and some of those choices are based on our belief in the possibilities of those things actually happening. And they're limited by what we actually see in our environment as being possible, which is why I love so much uh, my story because I can now come back to my small town and talk to smaller groups, even though it's not necessarily in their family, it's still someone from this town, someone from this island, someone from the Maritimes even, um, has gone and represented their country in three different sports, in four Olympic games, and you know, has won twice. So it's yeah. just, it's crazy, but it's, uh, it's a blessing, it's a yeah. gift. I feel so grateful to have yeah. been on that platform. And the impact that you're having, right? Whether in your in your in your nephew um, and, and all these other people um, yeah. that you're that you're. Um, but my impacting. goal is to get other people's thinking, like my nephews. Yeah. Like not everybody has the the gift of having a, an Olympic Olympian in their house mm-hmm. or or a doctor in their house, and so I want people to be like, you don't have to have those figures in your actual family for you to believe that it's still a possibility for you. And I think, and whether it's in sports, whether it's in medicine, whether it's in the arts, whether it's, you know, whatever, it's my goal is to make people kind of 
pursue the possibilities because there are no guarantees. Yeah. Uh, there are no guarantees in life. It's, we don't set goals because of guarantees. We set goals because of possibilities. Yeah. And to and, think that our, our decisions and our actions have their goals beyond us, it's not just us, but it impacts whether our children or our I friends know. or nieces or nephews. It impacts yeah. generations, right? Yeah. Far, far, far be, be, be beyond us. But uh, how does definiteness of purpose play into this? I, I remember this uh, line from um, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland where Alice gets to, to the crossroads and she asks the Shishar cat, you know, which path do I take? And the cat says, well, it all depends on where you want to go. And Alice says, well, I really don't care much where. And the cat says, well, then it really doesn't matter what, which way you go, right? How does <laughs> that definiteness of purpose play into our choices? Do we just go through life and, you know, wh wherever, you know, there are folks who are, well, it's okay, you know, wherever the path leads, I'll fall. Or do we have to be, you talk about intentionality, and I want us to touch on that a little bit, being intentional about the choices that we make. How important is that in life? Or how was that for you? Um, I think that how important that is, is depends on whether people actually have goals for themselves or not. And there will always be people who will float through life um, and who will be fine with that. It's the ones who float through life who are not fine with that, who feel like they're on autopilot, but feel like something's missing or feel like they're missing out on life and feel like life is passing them by and feel like, they're kind of stuck and feel like all the, those are the people. And that's, that's a lot of people like the ones who are just happy with, you know, whatever I, there aren't, I'm not going to say it's not the majority of the population. Um, but there, there will still be a spectrum, right? There will be people who are, um, people who are feeling a little bit lost and want to find that sense of purpose. And those are the people who need to set goals. And sometimes if you don't know what you want, you need to set a goal anyway and pursue that goal because in pursuing something, it can redirect you to like, if you don't move anywhere, you don't find out. So if you take a step forward, it will at least tell you if you like that step forward or if you don't like that step forward. And if you don't like that step forward, you take a step to the side and pursue something else. Um, then you also have people who are like some serious goal setters and really, really motivated but who feel really stuck. Like they know what they want. They just don't know how to get there. They don't, they don't know how to start. They don't know how to um, break those goals down into those manageable, actionable pieces and steps. And that's often where coaching comes in and coaching programs and that sort of thing comes in. People who can help them like, well, in both cases, actually, some people can help people figure out, give them a sense of purpose and figure out what's missing in their life. And then also coaching can come in and help people kind of break those goals down. Um, which some people just really struggle with um, and kind of planning that out. And then there are other people who will, I mean, there'll be people who will be successful regardless. You know, I was talking to someone and they said, when you're addressing a, a group, a room, you're teaching a course, you're doing coaching, uh, there will be a 17% at the bottom who will, it might be 13%, 13 or 17%, who will, uh, whatever, however brilliant you are, However great your content and your material is, you won't help them. Like they, they will not, it doesn't matter. They won't, it won't help them at all. They won't, they won't, you know, internalize what you're saying. And then there will be the top 17%. And those people, regardless of how brilliant you are, how great your material is, how insightful, how whatever, they will be successful regardless of whatever you tell them. With, with or without you, they would have been successful. It is the middle percentage of yeah. people.
And that's, that's the larger portion, right? Larger portion. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're talking about 65% of people yeah. basically ish 65 ish percent of yeah. people who really kind of need guidance and a little bit of struggling. And that's everybody, like that's everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, that is the, out of the people who take your course or take your coaching or doing any of that stuff, that's the chunk. I mean, the other one's still going to be successful and they will be there, but this is the group who's really going to latch on and really need, need your brilliance and need your information and need your insight and need your past experiences and need that mentorship and need that guidance and, and all that stuff. And it's, those are the ones that are so rewarding um, to help through the process. Because when you see that light bulb come on, it's for some people, like I said, for some people, it's just that shift in perspective. And it is, it's the most rewarding gift I could receive, especially like after speaking or when I say something in a coaching session and they're like, oh my gosh. Like I spoke, that aha moment, right? Yes. Or when I'm, you know, after I speak and I have a lineup of people and then they come and there, there's almost undoubtedly at least one person who will just break down in tears yeah. when they get to the front of the line when they, they've held it in the whole time and they get to the front and they just start sobbing. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I give them a hug, which I'm not sure I can do now with social distancing. Yeah. But anyway, they would be, you know, sobbing. And there's this one woman who came up and she said, I just, my husband and I are leaving from here to go directly to a seven week, his seven week cancer treatment. And she was sobbing. She was sobbing. And she said, after hearing you speak, mm. I actually think we can handle it right now. Wow. And I just started, I was like, oh my God, like I, I could barely contain it myself. That stuff is so empowering. Priceless. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, when people say, are you doing, you know, do you, do you think you're doing what you're meant to be doing? I said a hundred percent. And it's not because of the people who were like, oh my gosh, you're such a great speaker. That was great. I'm, that's a compliment. I appreciate it. It's wonderful, but it's the ones where you have the visceral. It's the lives that have been touched. And I think for us as speakers or, and, and, you know, those of us in that helps ministry, as I'd like to call it, that's, that's the greatest joy of a, yeah. us interviewing early last week on my podcast. And she had gone to speak to a group of women um, in a shelter. And after she had finished speaking similar to your story, there was a woman who just came up to her just hysterical, uncontrollably. She had a paper um, in her hand and she had written down, that was the day she was gonna commit suicide. <sighs> but when she heard Orly speak, that just transformed everything. And I, I think it goes, it goes to your point. I, no, no, no amount of money, right, can compare to the, the impact that, that you make in, a, in an individual's life. It, it's priceless, it really is. It is. But see, this is what people need to understand. When I talk about choices, I talk about choices a lot um, and making value-based choices and, and that sort of thing. And, but what people don't realize is the choice, our choices are, are everything from the words we use, the words we choose to use and the actions we choose to take. And what people don't really realize is that all of our choices are what we choose to do, what we choose to say, all of these things have an impact. They have an impact whether we realize it or not. We may, you may give advice to somebody and you think it just fell on deaf ears. Like I, that they didn't even, they didn't care. They didn't listen to anything I said. That comment though may have been overheard by someone passing by and they may have internalized that and it may have changed their life forever without you even realizing it. Or the person you thought didn't hear it. Let's talk about some teenagers for a second. We don't think they hear it. 
but they actually do. Or a few years later, that is what they, that is the voice, that's the sentence. Those are the words that they hear in their head over and over and over. Yeah. So we need to make sure that the words we're using are the positive empowering words yeah. that will make, help them make the decisions yeah. that are best for them. And it's crazy. You just, you just, you have no idea. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. Um, my, you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish up. No, I was just talking about impact because again, in my, like towards the end of my book, the last section is own your story. And part of that is about choices and consequences, but part of that is about impact and the impact that we make. My uh, father had brain surgery. He had a tumor, a very large tumor removed from his brain when I was in grade seven. Um, and the doctor, he failed his pre-op test. Um, but the doctor and the doctor said, I, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this surgery. Like you normally, there's, there's with your circle of Willis and your brain, the, the, the arterial connections and stuff, you wouldn't survive if something happened, like you would stroke out on the table. So we, my father, who's a physician said, I know what, I know what you're going through. Um, and I know what the risks are. And he said, but I also know what happens if you don't do this, if you don't try. And so he ended up doing the surgery, a 17 hour surgery, and my father is fine. He has numbness, permanent numbness on his face, but it doesn't matter, it's like being frozen from the dentist, um, but he's fine. And in my book, I made a statement saying by the end of the following year, so by the end of 2018, I was gonna track down the stuff. He was no longer at that same hospital in Chicago. Nobody in Canada would do the surgery, so it was a surgeon in, in the States. and. Um, by the end of 2018, uh, I had, well, by the summer of 2018, I had tracked him down and my parents and my brother and my sister and I all visited him in Boston mm. and he and his wife and his daughter and his granddaughter and his wife came up to me and she said, I want to thank you so much because you're such a great role model for my granddaughter. And I was just like, what like here it comes full circle you're thanking me for being a role model for your daughter but your husband is the one who yes. saved my dad's yes. life yes. and like so now you're like it's like a full circle yes. repay you don't know yeah. like you don't you just you don't know and yeah. he saved my dad's life without no like without knowing that that his daughter was going to be a role model to for people and for youth and for whatever. And then the, like, it just, it's- Who would have thought, right? You just Who don't know. Thought. It was a very emotional yeah. meeting to, yeah. to meet him and his family. And, and it's, it's interesting you touched on owning the story. And that was exactly what I was gonna ask you to talk about the, the next two uh, pillars. You, the seizing your potential and then owning your story. So that was a, that was a nice, mm -hmm. nice fit in there. But so are you, are you still, is Olympic still, still in the future or you, are you done with it? Oh my goodness. Well, the, my last Olympics was in 2018. Um, and that was, I wasn't, I thought I was done after 2014. So even going back for 2018 was a surprise to me and people were like, what do you mean a surprise? Well, I didn't decide to go back until six months before the games. So a year before those games, my former teammate with whom we had won in both Vancouver and Sochi, she sent me a message asking if I would consider going back to try and three-peat with her. And I said, no, I'm, I'm done. I love my business right now. I don't need to just win again for the sake of winning. I, I want to empower other people. I want other people to win. I want to help other people win. Right. And um, Paying it forward, right? 
yeah, I just, I, I don't get the same kind of adrenaline rush with me just trying to win. Whereas I get so excited if I know that I've kind of helped change the way someone thinks and they're now pursuing their passion. I just love that. Um, and so I said, I said no. And then, but then in the spring, the coaches contacted me and asked if I would go back. And I said, no, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. I love what I'm doing. And then in August, the very start of August in 2018, only six months before the games, I received a message on Instagram from a girl I'd never met before. And she had been in the program for the last couple of years as a driver. And she said that uh, there was a lack of leadership in the program, that besides my former teammate who had to kind of focus on her own, her own trajectory for success, uh, there was not one other person in the women's program who had been to the Olympic games before. And she said, based on what her coaches and her uh, trainers were saying, it's, there's so much stresses and pressures in an Olympic season, unlike any other season that you're just, it's, there's distractions and, and energy drains and all of these things and so much drama and politics and whatever that it's the mental management part and the mindset piece and the perspective piece that will actually allow someone to execute what they're physically able to execute when it comes to the games. And based on what she'd heard about me, she said, I think that you would not only be an asset to me, but you'd be an asset to the whole team. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's not talking about just pushing a sled anymore. She's talking about leadership. She's talking about impact. She's talking about, and I was like, oh, Fritz and ride, right there. Like right. my business. But I was so, I was like, I don't want to put my business on hold and lose, you know, lose income when I'm going to go, like bobsledding. It's not a big moneymaker. Let me tell you. So it was like, okay, now what? Like, what do I do? Like, but it was about walking the talk. It was actually about leadership, about impact. So at first, my first move was to call her and say, I don't know if you actually know what the situation is right now. One, I haven't trained since Sochi. So that's three and a half years of no training. Uh, two, I've had a second hip surgery, one that I rehabbed like a normal person instead of like an athlete. And three, I just turned 39 years old. So I don't even know if at 39, what my body is capable of. So let alone post-surgery. So she said, well, the trainer here, the therapist said that he just saw you last month because you sprained your back, which I had. And he said, oh, she'll be fine. So I was like, okay, uh, <clears throat> all right. So give me a bit of time. I need to one, figure out if I actually want to put my business on hold and do this. And two, do I can my body handle it? And so I took the next few weeks to just do like, a, I mean, just a dynamic warm up again. After the first dynamic warm up, I was sore for three days. Like my body was like, what are you doing? I don't, I haven't stretched in years. Like what's, so it was pretty crazy, but it was, a, and it was a process. Um, I had to change the way that I trained. I had to change uh, everything. Like even sprinting was putting my back in, crazy pain so there was no sprinting there was absolutely I was sprinting on a bike or on a treadmill like with an anti-gravity treadmill or in the water it was it was nuts but it changed everything and so the start of September I announced uh, my intentions of going back but the only reason I agreed to go back was if the federation agreed to support me in only pushing a rookie right. it did not have to be the girl who asked me to come back I wasn't saying I was only going to push one person um, but I was not going back just to do anything I could to win another medal. I was going back to help someone who had never been to the Olympics before. Um, what a powerful perspective. Yeah. So at first there was a little bit of pushback, 
um, especially when you know the the federation is like the the team is sponsored and funded based on results, and so there was all this pressure to win. And I said, well, you can either have me here to help you know the rookies, um, or I don't have to come back. So it was like a, and I said, you know, I had no problem leaving and I, they knew that that's, that's the, that's the thing. When people know you don't make empty threats, it was like, it's just, it is what it is. Like if, if it becomes a problem with me not pushing someone else, then I'll leave. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to be here. I don't need a fourth Olympics. I don't need a third Olympic medal. I am fine. The two I have are now are, are great. Um, so it's not, I'm, it's not about the glitz and the glamour no, anymore, right? It's about no, impact. That was a very empowering. It, it's it's when you make a choice that is kind of against the grain, against what people expect, but you are making it because you know that it's the right decision, not only for you but for I just life that you feel yeah. like the right decision, and you stand up to that decision, and you are okay okay with, you know, if they say okay, well, you either have to push the top driver or you need to leave. If you're okay with leaving, like making that statement is extremely empowering, both to yourself and to other people around you. That's, you know, that's powerful. Yeah, one of the guys at the beginning says, "Well, you know, they're going to make you push her," and I said, "Well, they can't." They're like, "What do you mean? You're going to leave?" And I was, like, "Yeah, I will leave. Like, I have no problem leaving." Yeah. So it's 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 I think. I think clarity on your values and clarity on what's important helps in the decision-making when you're caught with kind of those yeah. fork in the road moments and yeah. choices and decision-making and stuff like uh, that. As we kind of bring this to an end here, Heather, one question that I like to ask um, all my special guests um, yeah. is what defines them. And, and I ask this intentionally because sometimes we allow life events, experiences like you talked about, right? Growing up, cultural constructs, social, whatever, right? To define us, but what would you say defines you uh, where you are right now? What defines me? Um, it's interesting because right now my entire website, I'm redesigning an entire new website, um, which might be launched by the time this is shown, I'm not sure. Uh, but the tagline for my whole brand is live beyond definition. Mm. So it's about not being defined. It's mm. about so for me, it's about breaking down the definitions and living beyond what people are expecting, beyond expectation, beyond boundaries, beyond limitations, beyond. So beyond is a big word for me. And it's funny that you say definition because my tagline is live beyond definition. Wow. So I love that you asked me that because I think that we limit our goals. We limit yes. our choices because we, we have defined ourselves. And I didn't see that on your website, by the way, because I was on your website. Oh, that's the old website. I didn't see that. So that's the old website. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that. I love that because it, for me, it, it, it breaks down those, those silos, those stereotypes, those beliefs, whatever it is that we've allowed to define. And that's exactly what this podcast is about. So it's interesting hearing you for the first time as a special guest on the show saying that, you know, we got to live beyond those definitions. I, I truly love that. Yeah, yeah. So for someone who is watching or listening to this uh, podcast, Heather, who's perhaps has allowed, you know, life events to define them or stuck or wherever they may be, um, if you were to say something, you know, I'll let you have the last word here. What would you say to that person right now listening to this podcast and just, just stuck? I, what would I say to them? I would say start following me on Instagram and check out my, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, um, I would ask them to start exploring 
the things that make them happy, that truly make them happy. And if they can't remember what that is, like if there's right now, they're like, I don't know, there's nothing what I'm doing right now that makes me happy. I would ask them to think about what even from their childhood, what from like the last time, like what has made them really happy in the past? What's brought them joy? Um, and then I would ask them to explore that and to, to, it's about getting clear on your values and the things that are important to you and then evolving and developing goals around those goals, regardless of what they are, goals give us a sense of purpose. And so sometimes when we're feeling lost, just setting any kind of goal and giving you a sense of direction and purpose, even if it's temporary until you redirect and find another goal and the actual path you want to be on. Um, it's important because it's about you have to move forward in order to know whether something is a right direction for you or not. And so I, I really think it's about listening and listening to those inner voices, listening to your gut and finding out if you are in a situation that you don't want to be in. Um, or if there's, you do know that there's something you wish you were doing and you're not, why aren't you? Why aren't you doing that? Why, what is holding you back? What are you, um, and we're not fear of it, fear. People say, oh, well, we're afraid of failing. Well, we're not actually afraid of failing. Failing is like a, failing is like a nothing. It's what we assume failure will bring. We, we assume failure will bring judgment or ridicule or isolation or mockery or what disappointment in somebody, like what someone's going to be so disappointed. That is what we actually fear. Mm. Failure itself, if there was someone who's congratulating you on failing, you'd be fine with failing. So there are, you have to identify what is holding you back from those things and whether it's just, you really believe that you're incapable, well, test that, test that theory, you know, and see, and maybe you are, maybe you are like not capable right now at this particular time with these particular skills. But if you don't know what you're capable of now, then you don't know what you need to develop to get to where you want to go. So it really, it's hard. That's a big question because there's so many people who are stuck for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. But, but I love that. I love especially what you said about, you know, it's, it's, it's the impact. And I hadn't thought about this before. It's not the event itself, but it's the impact, right? Whether it's shame, ridicule, or whatever. But, but I love that. I love, I love that so much. But Heather, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on Time with Prep Podcast. These are true nuggets. Um, I love uh, the book, Redefining Realistic. If you're listening, you want to check out Heather's book. It's Redefining Realistic. I'm sure it's everyone books are sold. And also Heather's website, it's heathermoyes.com. She's in the process of uh, rebuilding that, but definitely check it out. Yeah, definitely. But if you order the book, if people do order the book through my website, it gives me an opportunity to personalize it before it gets sent out. So it's actually really fun when people put their names in and I can sign it before it goes out. So that's just a little, it's because it's a hardcover book um, with colored photos, it's often used as gifts or like the keepsake. So the extra personalization is often really fun. Very well. Well, uh, you heard it. Heather, thanks again so much. Uh, stay well uh, in Prince Edward Island, wherever you are. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, we get you uh, to come on to come on as a as a guest uh, sometime in the future. But thank you so much again for your time. And to our listeners, thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, stay well. <laughs>